This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin with support from New Zealand On the Air. Welcome to Sightlines, your guide to the visual arts in and around Dunedin. I'm Sally McMillan, and this program is brought to you by the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. In today's show, we're looking at public art. Why do we need it? Who decides whether it's good or not so good? And how do artists meet the challenge of creating work for public spaces? I'll be talking to Dunedin City Council Arts and Culture Relationship Advisor Lisa Wilkie, and we'll hear too from public artists Katrina Thompson, Ross Sinclair and Aisha Green. But first, I'll be chatting to Ross Curry, the Venerable President of the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society, about what's hot in the Dunedin art scene right now. This is Snapshot. Ross, what have we got? Well, at the RDS Gallery, Philip Jarvis is exhibiting till May the 15th. His show is called Captain Paradise. He's described as being unafraid of ceramic orthodoxy and a feast for the eyes. That's in Six Castle Street. And the Milford Gallery, Jenna Packer, is having her show until the 13th of May. This is in 18 Dowling Street. She is a history graduate and refers to narratives and early photographs and paintings. We're lucky that the society members have the opportunity of a guided tour on May the 10th at 10.30. So if you want to visit this and you're a member of the society, please register with our administrator as soon as possible. Sounds like a definite for your diary. What else have we got? We've also got the Fashion Forward Disruption Through Design at the museum. So your company, Sally, was was a sponsor for this, and you must be pretty pleased with the outcome. We're delighted with how it's going. So Macmillan & Co. joined with a boosted campaign to raise the money necessary to get this show back on the road after it was disrupted by COVID. It's a celebration of fashion. Uh, the exhibits are a selection of historic museum pieces which are displayed alongside 15 years' worth of ID emerging designer finalist garments. And it really looks at the role of fashion as a disruptive force quickly gaining a reputation as a world-class exhibition of its kind. It is absolutely fabulous and really encourage people to get along and see that. I agree. I I love that show. FE29 Gallery in 30 Sandringham Street has an interesting show by Robert MacDonald, who's used to be an immigrant to New Zealand but now resides in Wales. These are paintings, drawings and prints. And of course, if you visit FE29 Gallery, you're going to a residence and sculptures, other artwork and treasures, ceramic treasures, are available also in that gallery. And last but definitely not least, Ross, what's happening at the Dunedin Public Art Gallery at the moment? I think we've got Suite 2021, Style and Substance, which is a selection of works from the permanent collection, many of which are pieces that have been published by the Society, and From the Shore, also an interesting um, and quite thought-provoking exhibition not to be missed. That's right, and the, per- the works in the permanent collection are just an indication of what treasures we've got in Dunedin, many of which, of course, were bought with funds from the society. Thanks, Ross. And now, uh, moving on, it's time for Viewpoint, our monthly feature item. In today's show, we're focusing on public art. My first guest in the studio is Lisa Wilkie. 
who is the Relationship Advisor Council Initiatives with the Dunedin City Council. Lisa, welcome. Thank you, Nkora. That is quite a handle. Can you explain to us in plain English what that actually means? What do you do? It is indeed. I suppose the um, most useful way of describing what I do is that I'm an arts advisor with a focus on arts projects that come from within the council. Okay. So arts-initiated projects from within our infrastructure teams in particular. Okay, so, so what's your background? What makes you qualified to hold this lofty responsibility? Um, I don't know about lofty, but I do have a, a, a many and varied background. My bachelor's degree is in German language and literature. I've always had an interest in um, fine arts. And what I also have a diploma in embroidery. I have an, a diploma in graduate diploma in textile art, and I also have my master's in peace and conflict studies. Wow, that is quite a combination. So we're talking about today about public art, which is where you come in. Why is that a thing, put simply? I mean, what do you aim to achieve with public art? Well, when you think about public art, Many people think about uh, a sculpture like the Robbie Burns sculpture or the chalice in Cathedral Square in Christchurch. There are different ways to think about public art and it's not just those big projects that are often very public and attract a lot of attention. It's also about art in the public realm, which are artworks that might not be as obvious as the big ticket items but are the things that make our life more enjoyable and make existing just a little bit more pleasurable in the everyday. Okay, so we're hearing you say that uh, it should be pleasurable, it should be enjoyable. Does public art also have other objectives? Absolutely. I believe quite strongly that public art should help to define a place and to create a sense of of, of space and it should reflect ideally the community and the histories that are of that place and sometimes you can often tell a work of art that maybe doesn't work as such because it's not really connected to the histories and to the stories of that place. Okay and do you think there is a role for public art to provoke comment to excite people's imagination? It can indeed and um I have many discussions about people who might dislike certain public artworks, be they in Dunedin or in other cities around the world. And I do think that art can be provoking. It doesn't have to be. But ideally, a work of art should make somebody think. I think a public artwork that is, is not satisfactory, that is not successful, is one that you don't notice. Yes. I think that's the worst thing a, a piece of public art could be. Okay. So you said before um, that you think public art should, at least on some level, reflect the history of a place. And we're talking later to Aisha Green uh, about the Gateway Project. What, what Exactly. So what can you tell us uh, about the consultation process that had to be gone through uh, for Aisha and others who are involved in public art um, to be able to uh, present their pieces to the Dunedin public? Um, I can indeed. Now, the Dunedin City Council has um, funding for large public artworks like this about once every three or four years. And the first thing we did is I sat down with a number of interested people within the council. And so we've got the director of the Public Art Gallery, the manager of Aratoi, um, urban designers, and first we looked for a site that could be used for the artwork and when the public 
framework consultation was occurring, a lot of people had selected the Octagon as a preferred place for a public artwork. It is quite a contested space, it's quite a busy space, but we thought for the first public artwork in some time, it would be great to make a splash. Mm, yes. So one of the things I did was um, look at what people had said that they wanted in their public artwork. So this is sort of, we had quite a clear mandate from this sort of survey that was done and people wanted works that were thought-provoking, multi-purpose, urban regeneration, creative space provoking thought and conversations. And a theme that strongly came through was public art that was engaged with and respectful of te ao Māori. And that wasn't a, a criteria, but it was certainly something we took into consideration. And it was important that any artwork, no matter who created it, was aware that Octagon Land has a very strong connotations of sort of 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 the city's colonial history, yes. but there's not a lot of evidence of um, the mana whenua who were there oh. beforehand. Fantastic. And so, when you're talking about consultation, I know a lot of our listeners might be thinking, well, you know, what public consultation is there around the public art that's chosen for? Dunedin's public spaces. That's certainly understandable. So there was a call when the submissions went out, the expression of interest went out, and we, I believe we had around 27 applications. What happened then is we advertised for a selection committee, and so that was um, publicly notified, it was on websites, it was in the ODT, and um, we had a number of people put themselves forward to be on the public art selection panel. And so that was a variety of people. We had mana whenua representatives from Otako and from Pukataraki, and we also had people who were interested in and engaged with art and architecture in the public sphere. So they made the shortlist selection, and the artists had to present a more detailed um, exposition of, of what they were proposing and then and this was in the middle of of COVID lockdown in May and so these were put on to the DCC website and it was a bit difficult because we were still in lockdown and people were invited to actually provide feedback and constructive feedback about what they liked what they didn't like about each of the public artworks and this was taken into consideration. Okay Another person that we'll be speaking to as part of the program today is Katrina Thompson. Mm-hmm. In the remaining time, can you just tell us briefly, Lisa, something about that work which has already been installed? So the Ross Creek artwork is sort of the, the first um, work that's been produced under the Arts and Creativity and Infrastructure Policy. And that's designed to, where possible, to include creative elements in our public infrastructure, to right. make them not just functional. And that work represents the night sky, it's astronomically correct, and it also celebrates a number of the Māori mythologies that are to do with astronomy. Wonderful to see uh, that the Māori people in Otago are having their place now shown clearly uh, in the public art in our, in our province. Thanks, Lisa. Next up, Ross Curry talks to Katrina Thompson and Ross Sinclair from All About Water at the Ross Creek Reservoir, the public art project that is truly stellar. I'm speaking today with Katerina Thompson and Ross Sinclair, the team behind the star sculptures at Ross Creek. Katerina, why the stars and why Ross Creek? (laughs) Why Ross Creek? Um, There was actually a call for proposals for a public artwork at Ross Creek in um, July 2018, and so we jumped at that opportunity. 
why stars, we went up to the site when we were making our proposal and we were really kind of drawn into the idea of reflection because the water reservoir up there is a big reflective surface and we then saw the big dam face which has been re-engineered as this big rocky open slope and so we went away and thought about what could be um, reflection and we did some sketches and then we kind of came to the idea of stars reflecting on water stars are like a reflection of ourselves in a way and um and the big big black rocky dam face was like a big blank canvas that would have been really perfect for a starscape um and yeah the the word firmament came up quite a lot because that's like the idea of the sky but like um and so stars on the firmament like as if they're reflected in water or reflected on earth or um, they've fallen down from the sky and embedded into that situation so that was just a feeling we really liked yeah and uh, Ross Creek um, the DCC made the art and creativity and infrastructure policy in 2017 um, which sits alongside the Dunedin public art framework and um, because the Ross Creek refurbishment project was happening, um, it was such a significant city engineering project that it was an opportunity for them to include a creative intervention, which is why they um, put that call for proposals out. Good. Um, do the stars actually represent real stars? Yes, they are a mirror of selected southern constellations. And so people may recognise some and um, we also got some advice from Victoria Campbell who she's got a great knowledge of Tātai Aoraki which is astronomy and so we've made sure there's some significant Naitahu um, stars, Kaitahu stars in the in the constellations so you'll see Matariki and um, actually Ross is a really good person to talk about the constellations because he's already had a um, a real big interest in astronomy anyway, so maybe he could talk about that. Okay, Ross. Yeah, um, yeah. It was, it was, I've done a little bit of this amateur astronomy beforehand, and it was, but it was a real interesting project to come up with all the, um, actually mirroring the constellations and getting them to fit within um, a sort of essentially a triangle. Um, shape, <laughs> so it was quite a bit of juggling around to to fit them all in. But they um, we got them managed to get the majority of the southern hemisphere constellations in there. Wonderful. Now, um, public art always evokes a range of opinions and feedback. What kind of feedback have you had from the, your installation? Oh, we've had like we were working up there for two months while we were installing them and. The amount of people that absolutely loved them was astonishing that went past. And and as the work progressed, there was people coming, they were walking every day, so they were seeing the progression of the work. And, yeah, so the majority of people loved it that we saw, <laughs> I'd say. Yeah. Did you get any negative criticism? Um, yes, we... Um not too many in person, maybe a few. Uh, quite a few people going, what is this and why? But um, I did get sucked into reading um, some comments on the ODT article or a post that the Mayor Aaron Hawkins wrote and there was quite a lot of negative comments. But I think um, 
that might be more from people who are concerned about the money, the rates money going towards public art and not having maybe a pre-existing appreciation for art. So I think you can't please everyone with art and it's subjective and, um, yeah, so. <laughs> right, that's true. Yeah. Now, how were the stars constructed and anchored? Um, they're all constructed from steel, so there's um, two different types. There's a, like a rod type, which are made from uh, each star was a hundred pieces of rod, which we had to cut and weld together. And with the um, one, other ones, were made of sheet metal, so they were we got them bent and cut locally the pieces, and then we welded them all together. And that was the construction. Then after that, we had them all galvanised. We sent them away to be hot dip galvanised, and then we um, painted them with like a industrial two pack paint. I mean, they they look like they've just landed, and they look very light on the ground, but they're pretty firmly anchored, aren't they? Yeah, they are. We um, we went through quite a big process of um, anchoring them and what we had to do, and that, and we ended up. With each star's got three anchors driven into the um, dam face with a jackhammer, and then we've got them bolted and concreted around. So they're quite, they're, yeah, pretty substantially. They're there forever. <laughs> Hopefully. <laughs> <laughs> and you two collaborated on this project. Can you just tell us briefly how does your how did your collaboration work? Um, well, I think we work really well together um, because we have got um, quite complementary skill sets and um, we also just um, brainstorm well together, like we kind of have the same similar sensibility, so it was just a real pleasure really, <laughs> yeah. Good, well thank you, and thank you for joining us on Sidelines today. Thank you well, very much. very much. <laughs> Thanks, Ross. Our final guest is Aisha Green. Aisha is based in Auckland and she's of Kaitahu and Ngāti Kahununu descent. She's the creator of a gateway work soon to be installed in Dunedin's Octagon. And we welcome her to Sightlines today to talk about that work as what promises to be an exciting and inspiring example of public art in our fair city. Aisha, hare mai. Kia ora, hi. Thanks for having me. Very nice to have you here. First of all, can you give us a brief description of your octagon work? What is it? And tell us how it came to be. Yes, so the work is, um, it's a gateway, I guess, for the sort of best term to talk about it. And it's a gateway, it's an aluminium cast copy of the gateway at Otako with their main Whadanui doorway, um, walking into Tamatia, the main Whadanui there. And I guess... What makes the doorway at Otako really significant is that it's actually not carving, it's cast concrete. Okay. And so, yes, so there's sort of quite a large history to do with that sort of doorway and the carvings or the cast concrete carvings out at Otako. And the wood carvings, I guess what you might call the originals, um, come from Pakofai up north in Hawke's Bay area. And there was a chief there who got these carvings commissioned, but he passed away before being able to erect them into his whānui, his own house. And at that time, Dr. Hocken was sort of travelling the country and they caught his eye and he sort of bought them off the chief's brother and brought them down to Dunedin. So a bunch of them actually live at the museum now um, and some of them are on display and some of them are on storage. But a lot of those carvings are actually all over the world. So museum practice at the time was to sort of 
swap certain items or indigenous sort of tanga with other types of items from around the world. So right. we use them, or the museum used them in Tay. So then in, at some point, Otako decided that they wanted to sort of have carvings and casting these carvings that already existed at the museum was the best option at the time. And so there becomes quite a unique sort of history of where these carvings and how these paths work. Yes. So a lot of my work sort of generally looks at sort of reproduction or I guess copying or mimicking. So for me what happens is the gateway itself um, sort of sits as not only a reminder of the history of how Tonga travels throughout the country and the reasons why they move around the country, but also as a way to think about how culture is kind of fluid and that there are sort of changes. But as you said, I'm also descendant from Ngāti Kahanunu, and these original wood carvings, I do papa to them. My marae is sort of down the road. Um, so really, I mean, on a personal level, the gateway kind of sits between... It sort of represents me in a way that I sit between two iwi. Um, yes, and I guess the sort of doorway itself acts as a kind of future memorial in my mind, okay. where one day, um, I mean, with repatriation sort of practice, which is now becoming uh, more consistent or is quite topical in the museum sector, it is my hope that one day the original carvings will go back up north and that perhaps one day as well Otako will carve their own carvings and the sculpture in the end will sort of sit as a memorial remembering the travelling Tonga and the sort of sign of those times, I guess. So, wow, the gateway, your gateway, which is soon to become <laughs> our gateway, is steeped in history on a whole lot of different levels, obviously. Exactly, and I think, um, I guess with like sort of Māori Tonga, there is a large colonial history there in terms of collecting um, Tonga, the disbursement of Tonga, and it living in museums across the world. And I think the gateway is a way to sort of acknowledge that, but also acknowledges, like I guess, the history of Dunedin, um, large, largely not only the history of Māori that have been there um, and then the sort of settlers coming over, but how those two groups of people have come together and formed relationships with each other. I guess that um, you know a lot of people listening who have lived in Dunedin all their lives might say, "Bring you no, know, bring back the star fountain. We liked the octagon when it had the fountain in it." Um, <laughs> so, if we're explaining the significance of this gateway uh, to Dunedin people and indeed to visitors Dunedin to Dunedin, if and when we ever get any of those again, how would you sum that up? I think you've said to me uh, you want to call people in whereas there's been a bit of a tendency in Māori art to call people out. Mm-hmm. Well, I think it's like always good to remember that like Māori history is significant all over New Zealand, and um, it's something that we should celebrate. But Māori history or, like, well, colonial history and Māori history come together at a point, and I think that's what's significant about this work, is that it sort of acknowledges the different ways and different groups of people have come together and that I hope that it acknowledges different types of peoples or the diverse experiences of people in Dunedin. Um, and I also believe like this shouldn't be the only public sculpture that exists in Dunedin. There's so many opportunities for public sculpture. Um, well, there's so many places that public sculpture can go, and I think it's important to have a Māori history or an acknowledgement of Māori in the city centre to acknowledge the experiences of Māori in this town. Fantastic. So, Aisha, any idea when we are likely to see this installation? <laughs> um, 
yes, hopefully by the end of the year. It's been, I mean, it's been a great experience working with council, um, getting everything together to get resource consent together. And, I mean, these things do take a long time, but the best thing is that we've gone through, we're working with a whole range of different fabricators and engineers, and now everything has been put together that the project is definitely going to work. And once resource consent comes through, it's just basically hitting go and everyone can do their job and everything has been planned, so there should be no hidden surprises. All fingers crossed. Um, yeah. And fantastic fingers that it's crossed. creating jobs for people in Dunedin as well. That's great news. Yes, absolutely. We're working about with six different companies. So um, we have people that do the casting, people that do the pattern making and design, and we have installation, and there's many, many different things within like lighting and grass and so, yeah, there's heaps of people coming together to sort of make this work. Well, we very much look forward to seeing your piece of fantastic artwork when it's finally installed, Aisha. Thank you, and, and thank you for joining us for this edition of Sightlines, which is also available on podcast from the Otago Access Radio website. That's oir.org.nz. Next time, we'll be talking to Craig Scott about the Otago Museum's fabulous new show, Fashion Forward Disruption Through Design. Don't miss it. I'm Sally McMillan, and Sightlines is brought to you by the Dunedin Public Art Gallery Society. This podcast was produced by ORFM Dunedin, with support from New Zealand On the Air.